and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as a North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Folger, and this is Labors in the Harvest podcast, and I thank you for coming back and joining us today, or if this is your first time, I want to encourage you before you perhaps uh, get to the end of this particular podcast that you go back and listen to my previous podcast from last week. Uh, we had started a conversation with my friend, Dr. Johnny Polk, who's the pastor of the Christ Church Baptist Fellowship in Houston, Texas, and we've been talking about his life and journey in ministry, and so we're glad to have him back with us today. Brother Pope, thanks for taking time to be back with me on this week uh, in Labors in the Harvest. Honored to be here. Thank you, Brother Folger. All right. Well, last week, we we're talking about your father and the journey of ministry. So you grew up in a ministry home. It sounds like you moved around quite a bit. Um, you know, why is it, do you think, uh, obviously, that had, had a profound impact on you in a, in a positive way? But sometimes yeah. we hear young people growing up in homes like that, you know, where they've kind of bounced around a little bit. And, uh, you know, there's some sometimes uh, somewhat of a negative spirit that comes out of that. What do you think tipped the scale in your life that said, hey, this is uh, this, this what God has and this is how, what life's about. We, we serve the Lord regardless of where we are. Um, can you maybe talk to some of the things that happened in your home that maybe helped you? Yeah, there was um, there was a really molten moment. Um, I was in high school. My brother was going to the University of South Florida. My sister was already married. At that time, I was, I was getting kind of jaded and stuff. And, and there was really a, a man that was working with the young people of our church at uh, West Brandon Baptist Church in Brandon, Florida, outside of Tampa, where daddy was pastoring. And, uh, and I remember I'm, we're on the way home on Durant Road going to our home in Valrico, Florida, which is way out in the sticks. And I remember saying, you know, if he says one more word to me, I'm going to clean his plow, referring to, that's an old Southern expression for I'm going to whip him. I, I couldn't have whipped my way out of a paper bag, but, you know, <laughs> I was just smarting off. And at that time, really, even though I was a teenager, I was still getting spanked. I mean, to tell you, I was or scolded really severely or grounded. And I'll never forget, dad didn't say anything. I thought, okay, I'm off the hook there. And then mother began to turn around. I thought, boy, she's going to hit me. <laughs> and I remember she turned around and said something that just lodged deep in my heart. And she said, Johnny, boy, I want to tell you something. If you keep looking at men, they'll let you down. You got to look to Jesus. He'll never let you down. And, you know, I began to read the red. I began to study the life of Christ. And I thought, you know, we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. I'm following the wrong people around here. I don't need to focus on them and the failures of their life or, or the coming failures of my life, which were very readily coming, but I began to focus on Jesus. And I'm telling you, just studying the life of Christ. And I will tell you, Kevin, the one aspect of the life of Christ 
that has been most transforming to me is the death of Christ on the cross. For I am persuaded, Paul said, not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says, but we preach Christ crucified, and I'm crucified with Christ. And I thought, wait a minute. This man's life was totally transformed. He will not shut up about Jesus, and especially about the cross. And so to commemorate the life-changing transformation for, I don't know, what, 60, 60 plus years, Say about 60 years has been the passion of Christ on the cross. And that's what I spoke on this past Sunday morning to commemorate and pay tribute to the reason I did not go hog wild. So how old were you when God called you to preach? And did that happen in a particular service? Or was it more of an uh, organic call of just, this is what God wants me to do? You know, whenever I... Let me give you my testimony real quick. Sure. I was down in the gutter. I wallowed in the muck and mire of this world. I did everything that was due until I was gloriously saved at the age of six. And I wanted to get saved when I was four, but mother wouldn't let me. That's no joke. David was going to the bedroom with her. She, and, and I was going in and she said, Johnny, you got to stay here. Daddy came home. Mama says, David, tell daddy what happened. He said, I got saved. It looked so good. I said, I did too. Mother said, no, you didn't. And so <laughs> when I was six years of age, the opening line of my prayer was, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I put you off for so long. And I remember hearing mom and dad wonder, did he mean it? And so I thought that meant they didn't want me to get baptized. When I was eight years old, I was terribly convicted about being baptized. And so I surrendered. Uh, dad made me walk down the aisle and get a public profession before everybody. I did not realize it at the time, Kevin. My father had started this church from scratch, and the church had actually taken action and excluded my father from the church. It was a, it's a long, horrible story. But well, my father was the most honest. I will tell you this. The man that made the motion to do that uh, committed suicide two weeks later. It's just a very weird thing. I didn't know any of that. Wow. But at that moment of my dad's greatest crisis in his life is when his baby boy got baptized. And I remember it was the greatest day of my life other than salvation. Mm. So daddy had a radio broadcast. When I was eight years old, I saw daddy on the radio broadcast. I said, daddy, can I preach? And I wanted to preach. Mm. And he said, I'll turn off the radio some, but come on up here and get the feel of what I'm doing up here. Go mm. ahead and preach. And I was eight years old and I preached on, here's my pronunciation, the millennium. The reason <laughs> I knew it was pronounced like that, because I heard the recording. Somewhere that's somewhere around. And my theology, my eschatology was a little weird, but my, my, my heart was right. I, I preached Jesus was coming. He's getting rid of the devil out of our life. We're going to have a great time in heaven. Whoopee, let's go for it, you know. And uh, so whenever I got away from the Lord and I wasn't walking closely with the Lord, I didn't sense that. But Brother Kevin, whenever I got close to the Lord, I had this desire to preach. And I think about what God said to Jeremiah, while I was forming you in the womb, I knew thee. And so John, and then I think about John the Baptist, I think about Paul. I'm not in that category, but, but Paul was talking about being called from his mother's womb. So I don't remember any certain time where I knew that this was it. I had a, I had a wonderful moment when I was nine years old. I heard my name being called out in the middle of the night. I went into my parents' bedroom. And on the third time, mom said, sit down. I want to tell you the story of Samuel. So that was a great moment when I was nine years old wow. that that happened. Mm -hmm. But when I really got real serious, I was now 17 years of age. And uh, I, I was rocking and rolling as much as my parents. They didn't let me. I snuck around and rocked and rolled. You know what I mean? I couldn't mm -hmm. go to dances. So I go over to my friend's um, uh, garage and we would jam a little bit, you know, but you know, dad didn't know everything that was happening. But when 
I gave my all to Jesus. My whole song changed and everything changed. So I started preaching. I was 18. At that time, the hippie culture was really strong. So I was kind of used by the older preachers. I remember here's how they advertised me coming to preach. He's a young man. He's a young man just like you come in here and preach. So remember, I wasn't in a strong fundamentalist church at the time. So my hair was flipped up in the back. I had bell bottoms. I was half Jesus freak. I couldn't be full Jesus freak because, because <laughs> my dad was a preacher, you know. Yeah. Now, I did get stricter when, when, when I became a fundamentalist. My youngest daughter said one time when she was exasperated with all of her convictions, she said, Dad, I figured out who we are. I said, who are we, sweetheart? She said, we're Amish with a TV. And I said, well, <laughs> even that's monitored. You know? <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, so you you, uh, you went from there, you um, were in Bible college, and then you became a student at Hiles Anderson College, and yes. then you went on the staff there, kind of like yes. a staff evangelist. Is that what it was? Or Well, I was never, uh, I don't remember anything being voted as a staff evangelist. I was just an evangelist, and uh, Pastor Hiles was uh, very, very vocal of his approval of me. So I, you know, and if you remember correctly, especially in those days of the early 70s, if, if uh, Dr. Howells gave you his blessing, it was, um, it was quite a boost. You know? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so I, I think I remember, um, I, was, I never attended Hiles Anderson College. My, my youngest sister was a student there back in the late uh -huh. 70s. Yeah. But uh, my, my understanding is that one of the reasons that Dr. Hiles wanted you around was because he wanted to keep the pulpit hot in the, in the college chapel. Is, is that, would that be a correct statement? Well, I, I feel embarrassed, but I, I had heard him say that several times. Yes, sir. So God has gifted you in the realm of communication. You are one of my favorite preachers, not just because of the, you know, your ability to deliver the word, but there's a, there's a, an aspect about your life in which you bring thoughts, you know, um, that are not just surface thoughts, but are well dug in. And um, mm. you, do you believe it's just part of the gift that God has given to you with a, just a great mind? Um, is that something? Wow, that, that is really complimentary. One time my father said to me, who is probably my greatest mentor, and I, and I know that you can relate to this because of your dad and your uncle that were, you know, in your family. What right. an encouragement. What a blessing to have the generational blessing of God sure. upon our lives. But daddy would give me some advice. He said, Johnny, you need to put your, more of yourself into the sermon, meaning dynamic illustrations. And I remember saying to dad, dad, I didn't have a dynamic life. So be, because I felt bereft of what you call dynamic Christianity, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't saved out of a life of sin, but I do thank God I'm saved from a life of sin. Uh, no, I did plenty of sin, but I've never been drunk. Right. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, so I think uh, brother Kevin, what happened was because I felt bereft of really anything stories or illustrations that are dynamic i just search the word of god to try to find and you know if we search the word of god we will find the dynamic we will find the incredible because god's word my antidotes will fill my illustrations and have fallen flat many times but the word of god he will it will never return into him void yes sir that's true so you, you mentioned uh, that after a, a while, you just felt like, you know, you're, um, a sh you're somebody that doesn't have sheep to, to really lead. And so God kind yeah, of used that yeah. to, to call you to the pastorate. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for that. And then, of course, I, there were three other opportunities, two, 
pretty promising one, incredibly promising. But then the least promising one was from uh, Houston, Texas. And I, God really spoke to my heart that this was it. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful that, I mean, not that it was wonderful that you took the least promising one, but, you know, it's encouraging <laughs> perhaps maybe to someone listening to realize that it's not always about the size or the opportunity. No, it's no. about what God has for you. Right. And, you know, Brother Kevin, I was starting out so young and, and you know, to come straight from the field of evangelism for 11 years and step into the pastorate, there were so many things that I had to learn. And I and see the overall prayer that Barbara and my wife and I prayed was God put us in a place where we can spend the better part of the rest of our lives, mm -hmm. a place where our children could be reared up. We had two little girls and the two boys had not yet been born. And so as I look back, had I taken any one of those three churches, I wouldn't have lasted. I would not have lasted. Mm -hmm. But because we came here and, and, and started out with just my wife and myself and a couple of other people, we wrote the Constitution and the bylaws. Uh, we, we, we brought in all of that. And so no one can really say how our church was before I got there. Nobody got there before we did. And so that's kind of nice. And with my traveling schedule, that was really important that I'm in a place where I'm grounded in my, you know, I know it's kind of humorous to say this, but like some preachers have said, look, it's easier for you to move your letter than me, my furniture, because mm -hmm. I, you know, so, so yes, I was sir. able to stay here and I look back, I can see the hand of God. They've been very generous with me over the years and I praise God for it. That's wonderful. So yeah. what do you enjoy most about pastoring a church? What's, what's your greatest thrill of, of being a pastor? One of my greatest thrills is serving with my wife. She's been the church pianist right along with me. And uh, many times in the service, beginning of the service, you know how you want to break the ice when you come preaching a place. You know, we have people visiting. So my wife and I, she never says anything, but I often turn and, and reference her and stuff. And so I have felt so insecure in life and so insecure in ministry that just having her on the platform is encouraging. And the other thing that challenges me more than anything is now at the 40th year, I am baptizing kids who got saved, whose parents and now even grandparents, I was able to wendell the Lord or, or see discipled, you know. That, that is an amazing thing about a long-term ministry. Oh, I was 41 years at the Cleveland Baptist Church and wow, wow. 24 years there as the senior pastor, five years at beyond that as a co-pastor. You know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a thrill yeah. to see children born and them grow up, yes. graduate from the school, get married, and then begin a family and watch their children grow up. It, it's just, it's an incredible blessing. Right, no right. But, and know. now, as sad as it may seem, I performed a lot of marriages and now and now as the church gets older and a few of the members, I'm, I'm burying some of our best friends now. Sure. I just buried one of the five, a deacon for 37, 38 years, a deacon, mm -hmm. best Sunday school teacher in the whole world, David Messick. Wow. And, it, and it's just really heart-wrenching. But the comfort, the comfort of knowing that we'll see him on the other side, knowing that this great thing, this church that Jesus established, it yeah. doesn't stop here. Yeah. And one day we'll all be in the general assembly in the church of the firstborn. So that's encouraging. Yeah, amen. What, what advice would you give to a young man who's considering the ministry or a call to preach? What, what would you say to that young man? He's, he's had the opportunity to sit down and say, Brother Pope, you know, I'm, I'm considering ministry. I'm considering the call to preach. What would you say to that young man? First of all, if he's not married, I'd say major on this, the perfect will of God for the wife that you're to marry, for the bishop must be the husband of one wife, not one at a time. Mm -hmm. Now, no matter what, 
argument people want to give it to you, even at very best. Mm-hmm. If someone believes you can be married to one and then married, divorced, married again, you're going to be handicapped at the very best. Sure. So I encourage them, you get in the perfect will of God. Not just any girl will do. You get the girl that God wants you to marry. And then I would say, like what I was saying while I go, look for the long term. Look for a place where God could anchor you in the will of God for the rest of your life. Like if it's to be an evangelist for the rest of your life, I think about Tom Farrell, who was just with us not yes, long sir. ago, how that he found the will of God as an evangelist and just anchored right in there. Yes, and then, you know, the same, you know, we oftentimes give praise to the pastor. Thank God for the evangelists that get anchored in there or the missionaries. What about the Bob Hughes? What, what about these guys that get anchored in the perfect will of God and mission work? So I'd say get anchored. I believe that God is going to be more than willing to give you not all the details, but he can give you the path that you're to be following for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Do you encourage young, young men? I mean, because I'm sure everyone is different, but you know, we see a propensity today for young people going to college, not just to get a, an undergrad degree, but then go on to get a master's. And you uh-huh. know, then once they sometimes get established, you know, they work, working on a doctorate. Do you, do you think that those things are essential today in, in this culture? You know, you know, they're not essential, but I will tell you this because Sadly, there is so much humanistic and so much great thought of one who's got his master's degree or doctor's degree. If you stay fundamental, if you stay close to Jesus, if you can stay in the word of God, I think you can go to the proper places and get that postgraduate degree. And to the stranger that visits your church, they will often look at your credentials and they want to know, you know, um, like we have doctors in our church and lawyers in our church. And I think that sometimes they think, well, you know, if you didn't spend any more time working on your degree than I did, you know, what do you have to offer me? Now, there's an old saying, you don't have a second chance to make a first impression. So mm-hmm. I, for myself, only have a bachelor's degree. My doctorates are honorary degrees. Mm-hmm. I think God is blessed that Spurgeon never went to college. So I, I don't think it's essential, but I think it can be beneficial. There are, see, an uneducated person is not going to disrespect you for having an education, but an education per an educated person sometimes doesn't have the respect if you don't have some of those uh, credentials. And, and, I'm, and I'm careful when I say this, Brother Kevin, because when I was a young preacher, I didn't even want to get my bachelor's degree. I just knew Jesus was coming. Yes, sir. But nowadays, to, to get that respect, I, I, think that, I, I think that when we as fundamentalists go ahead and bite the bullet and dig in there, and I think that what would happen, just go ahead, guys, and do soul winning and do preaching in the convalescent home in the jail. It, you're not giving up ministry because you're working on your degree. You can do, and nowadays, nowadays, uh, it used to be that um, degrees that you got online were not as well respected. Right. Nowadays, Ivy League schools, because of COVID, are doing online studies. So nowadays, you can get some yes. degrees through uh, internet studies and stuff that can still benefit you. And you can still um, do the work of the Lord in your pastorate. Sure. Well, we're going to be wrapping up here. Um, I want to ask you one final question before we kind of sign off here for today. But um, as we look at, at our culture today and what's going on in the world, and I, I think we all realize that the stage is being set for the second coming of Jesus Christ, but we don't know how, how much time we have so true. What, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges for those in ministry going forward, specifically those that are going to be, who are called the pastor? What do you think are going to be some of the greatest challenges that they're going to have to face? I think being in the world, but not of the world. Mm. Um, there's a lot of belief, especially some among some of the millennials and younger, that to reach people for Christ, that compromise is in order. 
And I think that's a drastic mistake. I am seeing a turnaround even now for the traditional. Mm -hmm. I remember a lady walked outside our church one time. This is no joke. Member of a Southern Baptist church. The tears were dripping off, literally dripping off her cheek. And here's what she said to me. My 15-year-old son came with me today. It's the first time. And we go to church every week, Pastor. She said, it's the first time he's ever heard a hymn. Everything wow. else he heard was just some of the modern music that would not be classified as a hymn. Right. And so I think there's a longing for that. And, and, and you know, Kevin, I preach 45 minutes to an hour every Sunday morning. Wow. And the people are still there. They're not walking out on me unless they have to go potty, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'd never ask them on the way out. Uh, excuse <laughs> me, are you going to the restroom or are you just mad at me? You know, I know. <laughs> Well, again, I, I do think uh, as we go forward and as we wait for, for the Lord and serve him while, while we're waiting, that uh, there are challenges that are ahead of us. There's no question about that. And, but I do think that the answer is not, again, to con overly contextualize the ministry to the point that we look like the world and, yes. and you know, ministry is like the world. But yeah. there needs to be a, enough you know, that we can relate to people. But on the other side... Well, we don't need to change the church uh, to the no, point that uh, it's unrecognizable. It's ridiculous. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for, for joining me today. And I want to say thank you for the years of, of ministry and friendship that we, you and I have been able to, to enjoy. Uh, I'll share this with our listeners. Um, you and I had met, and I think maybe just maybe met, and, and I was flying through Houston on a, on a mission trip, heading down to, to dedicate a building in Mexico our children, church had built. Yeah. And in those days, uh, you know, you could go to the airport and I was flying through Houston. And I reached out to you and said, hey, uh, I'm flying through Houston. Would you have time for a cup of coffee? And you were so gracious. Uh, you drove over to the airport. We sat down and we, we visited when uh, I was on my yeah. way to that mission trip. And it made a profound impression upon me. Oh. And I want to thank you for being that kind of person. Oh, uh, thank you, Brother Kevin. Thank yes. you. Yeah. So it's been my joy to call you a friend through these years. And I appreciate the fact that you've been steadfast and unmovable and always standing on the right side of issues. That's a blessing to me. I sure appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, my friend. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you to our listeners for joining us today for this conversation of Labors in the Harvest. And it's our prayer that uh, this, what you've listened to today has been a help to you. Uh, we sure would like to hear from you. And if you can go to my website, kevinfolger.com, there's a, there are ways there that you can reach out to me. I sure would love to hear from you, or you could just leave a, a comment or a rating at the place where you uh, platform where you get the the podcast and let others know about it that would be a great help and a blessing to me as well so thank you we hope that you all have a great day may god bless you as we continue to labor for the lord in the harvest thanks for listening we hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast if you've been helped please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. Mm -hmm.